Hello, everyone, and welcome to your Christadelphian library, where we discuss Christadelphian books with the goal of expanding biblical knowledge and stimulating spiritual thought. This is Brother Caleb Osborne bringing you episode number 27, and the book we will be reviewing today is The Faith in the Last Days by Brother John Thomas and compiled by Brother John Carter. So, The Faith in the Last Days was published first in 1949, which was 100 years after John Thomas took a lecture tour through Britain that ultimately led to him writing the book uh, that is now known as Elpis Israel, a sort of fundamental uh, book that sort of outlines uh, the truth and the gospel as we understand it as Christadelphians. And so The Faith in the Last Days was compiled by Brother John Carter um, on the 100th, anni- 100th year anniversary of, of the publishing of Elpis Israel. And it's made up of two sections. So there's part one, and that's written by John Carter, and it gives a brief overview to the life and work of John Thomas, providing background and insight into section two, which is the vast majority of the book, and it consists of 30 articles that John Thomas wrote uh, throughout his life on a range of biblical topics. Like many of you, most likely, um, I don't naturally gravitate towards reading some of the earlier writings of our, of our community. It can definitely be a bit daunting sometimes to pick up one of John Thomas's books, especially if you've had earlier experience and found him to be confusing or, or long-winded in the past, or perhaps you just don't understand half of the words he uses because he wrote uh, getting close to 200 years ago now. To my surprise, when I read The Faith in the Last Days, I found that it was actually a lot easier to get into and it was easier to follow and understand than I expected it to be. And I ended up being quite engaged in the book and finding some really interesting and, and useful things from it. So I'm looking forward to sharing that with you on this on this podcast. Um, there's a few reasons um, why I think that The Faith in the Last Days uh, is a little bit easier to read than some of the other books uh, from, from a couple hundred years ago. And those reasons, I'll just lay them out for you. So the first one is that there's an, a really good introduction to the book written by John Carter. So that's only 80 years old, <laughs> that part of the book. And it's written by John Carter, who, if you're familiar with his writings, is a very concise, straightforward, and engaging writer. He's very easy to read. And what he does is he sets the background um, to the kind of writing that John Thomas did. He gives a brief outline of the life of John Thomas and of the revival uh, of witnessing to the gospel um, that happened in his time and sort of the, the building of the ecclesias, uh, the first Christelphian ecclesias back in the 1800s. And I find I found reading about that time period and reading about Brother John Thomas and the development of his understanding of the gospel really helped um, me get into the frame of mind to be able to read his articles and understand his perspective, where he's coming from. Um, and so having gotten to know the man, his motivations, his adversities, and his mission and his drive really made me want to find out what he had to say in the rest of the book. That's the first reason. There's a really good introduction that helps ease you into the book. Um, the next reason, num- reason number two, is that the articles uh, in the rest of the book, in the, sort of the 250 pages of the rest of the book, are mostly pretty short. So instead of the intimidating 50 to 80 page chapters uh, in Elpis Israel, um, the articles and the sections that are in The Faith in the Last Days are as short as three or four pages or up to about 15 at the top end. So uh, each chapter is manageable. You can follow it. If you find it difficult, you can go back and read it again without losing a whole ton of time. And each article sort of addresses one isolated topic or question. And that I found really was helpful and made it easier to follow it and to follow along. 
And the third thing that I found was great about this book uh, was just that um, maybe it's the fact that I'm reading it a bit uh, with a little bit more maturity than I did when I first read Elvis Israel. But I found reading his arguments, they were actually quite logical and compelling. Um, I didn't find it super hard to follow. I didn't think he went on a lot of tangents. Um, he would really start typically with a premise or with a question. And then the rest of his article would sort of quote scripture after scripture and, and string together passages from all over the Bible um, that built a really solid case that led to a very sound and convincing conclusion. And, and I found myself continually impressed by actually just the quality of the writing. It was very well-structured and it was easy to follow for something that was written in the 1800s. So that's why I think that you can definitely read this book. It's not too hard, uh, all things considered. But why should you read this book? Well, I have three reasons for that as well. The first reason is because it gives you a window into what it was like when the truth was just being rediscovered. Um, that first introduction that, that sort of where John Carter um, tells us something about John Thomas and his work and his process of coming to understand the gospel is just so interesting. And, and through the articles that he writes throughout the rest of the book, um, you really get a picture of how uh, Brother John, John Thomas um, was able to come to a full, fuller and fuller picture of the one true faith. And I found that seeing his commitment to finding the truth um, gives me a greater appreciation for the real gift it is that we, that we have in knowing and understanding uh, the true gospel. And it really emphasized the importance of, of really holding on to that heritage of the truth that we've been given. So it gives us a window into what it was like to rediscover the truth and it inspires us to discover it for ourselves as well. That's the first reason why you should read this book. The second reason is because it provides a thorough and sound exposition of, of the essential components of our faith. It talks about the first principles a lot, but it does so in a really thorough way, like in like a, a deep biblical study of these first principles. Perhaps sometimes if you're like me, you might avoid studying first principles because you think you already know them or because you've heard a lot of maybe public lectures or Sunday school classes or CYC classes on first principles and you feel like they're kind of boring or simplistic. But I find reading through the way John Thomas talks about first principles, he talks about it like it's the, it's the best Bible study ever. And uh, it's impressive to see the depths to which you can go in a study of the fundamentals of God's plan of redemption and his purpose with the earth and with, with his people. And uh, John Thomas's uh, use of the entire breadth of scripture in his discussion of first principles is inspiring. Uh, it, it shows how much there is to know about the gospel in, in every book of the Bible, and especially in the Old Testament. He, he draws on the Old Testament a lot and links it to the, to the principles in the New Testament. So it gives a sound exposition of and aids in our understanding of, of the true comp the important components of our faith. And thirdly, the other reason why you should read this book is because, frankly, some of the chapters have some really, really interesting questions that he does a really good job of answering. Um, and I'm going to come back to those and explain and just mention a few of those to, to whet your appetite at, at the end of this review. So for the rest of this review, um, I'm just going to read to you some quotes and discuss a few sections from the book that illustrate those three reasons why I should read this book. So our first reason, again, was getting an insight into the life of John Thomas and the importance of the discovery of the truth. Um, so I'm going to actually read a, a, a very a brief quote to you from uh, page 22 of the book. 
which sort of describes the atmosphere that John Thomas found himself in in America and England in the early to mid 1800s, because I find this really helps us to understand the, the environment and the setting in which John Thomas is, is writing all these articles in these books. So Brother John Carter writes, um, we must uh, realize that the early decades of the 18th century or the, the 19th century were marked by general religious confusion mixed with wild enthousi enthusiasm. Sects abounded in America with bitterness and hatred rife, with fantastic notions based on weird interpretations of a few texts. Claims to Holy Spirit guidance were often made. Wild scenes at such revivalist meetings, not free from immorality, were common. Religious discussion at that time was marked by blunt invective, and a harshness of speech was common and must not be judged by present standards. So this time period that John Thomas was writing in was, was full of um, a lot of religious fervor and a lot of really strong opinions that were being broadcast all over the place. So that last section there that says, that it was that blunt um, invective and harshness of speech was common. So perhaps if you've read some of John Thomas before, you might be a little bit surprised at how direct he is and how um, sometimes confrontational uh, his language is. And that's because that's what everyone was doing at the time. And people were expected to make the strongest possible case as they wrote about things to do with the Bible. So that helps, this helps to sort of get a, a bit of a uh, insight into how people wrote back then and why Brother John Thomas um, writes with such fervor at times. Um, so as you read through the section, you'll find that as Brother Thomas uh, started to publish articles in various magazines, um, and, and these articles he was publishing were starting to depart from the traditional beliefs of those around him and challenging the, the traditional Christian beliefs, um, he found himself often mired in controversy. And that controversy was just exacerbated by the fact that he wasn't un he wasn't willing to depart from what he saw to be the truth as expressed in the Bible. So he would write an article maybe expressing why the the immortality of the soul was a, a fallacy, and he would get a lot of a lot of flack for that. Um, and there's another quote a few pages later that really um, uh, describes Brother John Thomas's approach to writing about his understanding of the truth, even in the face of people um, really having at him. Uh, and it says. All the clamor and denunciations and attacks on his character, as he declared later, failed in the desired effects. Instead of intimidating us and putting us to silence, it only roused our determination to comprehend the subject, if wrong, to get right, and when righted, to defend the right, maintain the right, and overthrow the wrong or perish in the attempt. So I really find that, that quote really helpful because it, it sort of shows us sort of Brother John Thomas's attitude towards seeking the truth. He thought truth was the ultimate, ultimate cause, and therefore, if he was wrong, he was going to admit he was wrong and figure out what was right. And then once he's found the right, he's going to defend it to the death. I think that's a really admirable characteristic. Um, so that's all we'll talk about for sort of the insight into the life of John Thomas and to his attitude towards approaching the truth. Um, but I think that's kind of helpful. Um, and now I'm just going to talk to you a little bit about some of the ways that Brother John Thomas, in his articles, um, describes and teaches the core principles of our faith. And I'm just going to talk about chapter, uh, the first article, chapter one of the second section, where Brother John is writing about God's design in the creation of the world. He gives a really great introduction to God, the Bible, and God's purpose in the Bible. It's a lot like the speech that Paul gives 
uh, to the Athenians in Acts chapter 17. And so after sort of going through an overview and a summary of, of God's plan with the earth uh, in this chapter, Brother Thomas concludes in the end that ultimately God wants man to have a choice to choose to serve him. So Brother Tom, Thomas writes, God created man free to stand and free to fall, capable of doing or not doing as he preferred, but responsible for the consequences to the extent of the knowledge imparted to him. So that's really significant, right? It talks about free will. It talks about the fact that um, man was created by God with the ability to choose to obey or choose to disobey, but also given the responsibility that whatever they ended up uh, choosing to do, they would have to bear the consequences of their, their decisions. That's like a basic understanding of free will. And then he goes on to say that there was a necessity for faith, that God wanted people to choose to believe in him. And so he says, if faith then be required, it is manifest that God designed to move men by motive, not by necessity. That's such a profound quote, I think, because what he's saying is the whole point of giving men free will and giving us the requirement of faith is that God wanted people to be to decide to, to make their decisions and to do their to choose their actions based on motivation, not based on an outside um, necessity, right? It's about free will, choosing to do something because you want to, because you believe it's right, not because you're forced to. And I think that was really significant. There are many other great expositions of principle in this book, but I'm going to uh, move on to the third example just because uh, for interest of time. So uh, speaking of um, the interesting questions that are discussed in this book that I wanted to touch on. I said that um, in this book, Brother John just addresses some really interesting questions that I've wondered about for a long time. And some of those uh, include uh, what he discusses in chapter 15, which is the question of why the 12 apostles didn't, don't seem to have been rebaptized after Jesus' resurrection. Because you'll understand that they were, they were baptized in the baptism of John, um, but, then, but they didn't understand anything about the death of Christ. And so it wasn't until after Jesus', Jesus resurrection when they understood sort of that Jesus had to die and be resurrected. But it doesn't seem that they had to be rebaptized after that. And so he addresses that question. He has a really good answer for it that you'll have to find out uh, for yourself by reading this book. And then another question he discusses is in chapter 27, where he asks, why do some passages say that the kingdom of God will stand forever? It will have no end. It will never be destroyed. And yet Revelation puts like a timeline on it, a time limit on the kingdom of God. It says that, it will, that you know, they will live and reign with Christ for a thousand years. So what happens after that? Does the kingdom of God come to an end? Well, again, he has a really good answer for that as well. Uh, but the last uh, point I want to discuss, the last question I, I think I want to talk about a little bit is what he discusses in chapter 25, which I found the most impactful for me. And in chapter 25, Brother Thomas writes about blasphemy. What does blasphemy really mean? Now, blasphemy isn't a topic that we'd like to talk about very much these days. It's kind of like hellfire and brimstone in the churches. It's just not very popular anymore. Um, and I often get uncomfortable when I hear the term blasphemy thrown around, especially if it's an accusation. If, if someone says that such and such a person or such and such a group is, is being blasphemous, it sounds really harsh or judgmental. But 
when I, when I thought about it, I don't really know what blasphemy means. So this chapter was really helpful. I'm going to string together a few quotes from the beginning of the chapter where Brother John Thomas uh, basically goes through a bunch of scriptures talking about blasphemy, and then he combines them to talk to give the scriptural definition of blasphemy. So he starts by saying that to blaspheme is to bring divine things into disrepute so that whatever words or doings tend to do or really do accomplish this are blasphemies. So if you bring divine things into disrepute, um, that's blasphemy. But then he gets more specific. He says that lying to tell a lie is the hypostasis or substance of blasphemy, for no good thing can be injured by the truth. Verbal and practical lying are both mortal sins, but their iniquity is aggravated when the lie is against God, his name, and his doctrine or word. Thus, if we say we have fellowship with God and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. When our actions are denial of God's doctrine or word, we make him a liar. So we start to see this idea of blasphemy taking shape. It's to, to say something wrong about God, right? To bring divine things into disrepute or to lie or to have, to say an untruth about God, his doctrine, his name, or his word. So then, then Brother Thomas goes on to describe the severity of, of such blasphemy. He says, no greater offense can be committed against God than not to believe what he has promised. I'll say that again. No greater offense can be committed against God than to not believe what he has promised. He goes on to say, the reason for this is that he has magnified his word above all his name, and therefore not to believe that word is to treat God as a liar, which is blasphemy. This is why it is decreed that he who believeth not the gospel shall be condemned. When we do not believe, we walk in darkness, and walking in darkness or unbelief, we do not do the truth, for in relation to the truth, no man can walk in the light of what he does not see or do that which he does not believe. So hopefully that makes sense. Um, basically, if we don't believe the truth about what God has promised, we are basically saying that what God has promised isn't true. We end up making God a liar, and that, of course, is blasphemy. Of course, he ties in elements from 1 John 1 there, talking about what fellowship is, right? Fellowship is to walk in the light, walking in the truth, and walking in faith. And if we don't do that correctly, then we are, in effect, committing blasphemy. So this explains why John Thomas was so passionate and so intense in his search for a true understanding of God's truth uh, in his life. And that's also why we, as Christadelphians, have, have traditionally put such a heavy emphasis on understanding uh, the gospel and being able to prove from Scripture uh, the first principles of the gospel, the core principles of the gospel. Because as Brother John Thomas thought, and, and, and as the Bible shows, if we get our understanding of God wrong, if we believe something false about God, that's tantamount to blasphemy. Now, perhaps it sounds a bit severe, but that's what the scripture says. And this is why it's so important that we have a strong desire to find the truth and that we have a desire to, to prove what is true in the Bible and to, to hold to what is true. So no matter how genuine someone may be, if they don't believe God's promises, that means they're committing the greatest offense against him. This is why it is so important that we understand the truth about what God has said in his word and why it's important to stay separate from the churches around us. Because if they don't believe in God's promise of his kingdom on earth 
or if they believe that God's covenant with the Jewish people is over, or if they claim that there is a supernatural devil seducing us away from God, or if they preach a substitutionary atonement, any and all of these doctrines have the effect of calling God a liar because they deny the truth about God and what he says. So Brother John Thomas uh, concludes at the end of the section, Can a man be justified by the belief of blasphemy? Will a pious profession of love to Jesus transmute blasphemy into justifying truth? Is the sincere belief of what the scripture defines as blasphemy less offensive to Yahweh in a modern religionist than it was in an ancient Edomite? Of course, the answer to all those rhetorical questions is no. No matter how much someone may claim to love Jesus, if they believe what it amounts to blasphemy about him, it can't justify him. And that, therefore, um, tells us how important it is to understand the truth about God and about his promises and about his plan. So what's the practical implication of this? Does that mean that we get to sit on our high horse uh, claiming that we have the truth and no one else does and therefore we're the chosen people um, and sit on our high horse looking down our noses at everyone else? Well, no, of course not. What it means is if we believe we have the truth, our primary motivation should be to do everything we can to spread that knowledge of the truth, to take those people who, who have a false or incomplete or, or incorrect understanding of God and his plan and, and show them from the scripture the truth that can set them free. That's what John Thomas did, right? He spent his whole life trying to, to discover what the truth was and then trying to share that with people because he believed that it really mattered what you believed. The truth matters. And therefore, we need to try to promote the truth and to spread the truth and to, to instill in other people's hearts a love for the truth. So our goal should always be to strive for the truth to be discovered and upheld, both in our own personal understanding and in those around us. Because God is a God of truth, and it is the truth that sets us free. As Brother John said, no good thing was ever injured by the truth. So let's, let's strive for the truth. Well, that wraps up our review of The Faith in the Last Days. I hope you consider taking a read through it at some point. I'm sure you'll find it helpful. I hope you listen in again next week where, God willing, Sam will be taking a look at Speaking to the Heart by Dennis Gillette. Thank you for listening, and I hope that your reading is helping you to get a fuller understanding of and appreciation for God's truth. God be with you. <music>